Welcome to the Kicks EAP podcast, your monthly podcast with important leaders in education from Eastern Europe, Middle East and North Africa, Central Asia, and the Asia Pacific. I'm your host, Ryan Allen, assistant professor at Chapman University here in Southern California, and my own background is in international and comparative education. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show. Today we have Dr. Laziz Chekolov, head of the Department of Education Quality, Monitoring, and Teacher Professional Development in the Ministry of Public Education for the Republic of Uzbekistan. We talk about his background, the department's work, including with PISA and other international assessments. We even get into some critiques of academia. We have a lot of fun in this episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's jump to it. All right. Thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to have you on the show. You know, kind of going through your CV and looking at it, and and I'm quite jealous because you you have this really wonderful international education background. You know, you have a a bachelor's from uh, University of Manchester, but you have some other experience in in Belgium, Finland, and Greece. Can can you maybe just talk a little bit about your educational um, background? Well, yes, basically my educational background, like very, very background starts, well, it's not that starts, it's probably related to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, when I was uh, about to graduate the school, uh, well, I was in a high school, the Soviet Union collapsed and then there were new challenges. Uh, well, uh, in Uzbekistan as well. So we were like uh, trying to look at the new frontiers in education. And at those times, like the one of the first uh, so-called non-governmental uh, colleges uh, opened in Uzbekistan, and there were colleges which were opened with the assistance of Turkey. So uh, in, in those colleges, we, we, we basically... The education for the say like the for the STEAM sciences like the the physics, chemistry, maths, biology, and so on, all this was in English. So uh, when then uh, after that, when I graduated from the school, uh, it was uh, it was uh, quite easy for me to you know to to qualify to enter the the uh, one of the uh, top local universities. I'd say probably it was a top local university at this at that time, though I was born in province, not in the the, the capital. But then I, when I moved to Tashkent, to the capital, uh, I, I thought that the, 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 the study in the top uh, local university didn't seem so challenging to me. So I was not like really satisfied with what I was getting. So I decided to apply for the government scholarship at those times. Uh, Uzbekistan is a very young, uh, like independent country uh, the, uh, with the initiative of the first president of Uzbekistan well, there was launched a big um, study abroad program. Uh, that financed the young, talented guys uh, to go and study in the top universities in the world. And basically, I, uh, I decided that I should uh, apply for this scholarship, and I, and I successfully did. So uh, uh, then w- w- when we talk about why I decided to study in Manchester, well, there were <clears throat> two reasons. Uh, the first reason being, honestly, because I supported Manchester United. So I really wanted to go to Manchester. <laughs> and the second reason was... Uh, more about like the, the there's a more practical reason because I wanted to study management, which was something quite new for the uh, for Uzbekistan as a newly independent country, which just switched from the planned economy to market economy, and there was a huge lack of the specialists in management. Uh, 
So uh, this, I, 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 when I did some investigation, I found that the Manchester University, especially the Manchester School of Management, was one of the top, not only in UK, but all over the world. So I, I decided that probably I have to go and study there. That's how my journey started uh, towards the international uh, education. And then when it comes to, uh, say, uh, Belgium, um, uh, when I started, when I when I graduated from Manchester, I came back to Uzbekistan. But uh, still, I, I thought that uh, I was lacking some, you know, international expertise because what I was like, uh, 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 along with working, I was also at the same time was studying. I was doing my postgraduate studies. Uh, but the, the 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 level of postgraduate studies, to be honest, wasn't as good as I expected. So I decided that I have to go and then try to find some other ways to to study abroad. So I decided to study in in in, in Belgium, um, which uh, I also did successfully. But this was the scholarship of the European Union. Basically, probably uh, everyone has heard of the, the Erasmus scholarships. This was one of the Erasmus scholarships, and then uh, after that, uh, I was working in the uh, in a local university, and then we started partnering with the European universities for the Erasmus exchange. And in Finland, it actually, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that I was studying; I was rather teaching. I was teaching in a, in one of the northernmost universities uh, in, in Finland, which was the Rovaniemi University of Applied Sciences. And it, it, it actually it was a great experience for me because like teaching in a, in, in, a, in a university abroad, like, you know, like widens your horizons and you can see uh, what you hadn't seen before from uh, a totally uh, a different perspective. And you can uh, understand that the, basically the, uh, the, the ultimate goal of education is the same, although the, the approaches are different. But when it when it comes to Greece, I did my PhD there and was also same like then the uh, the Erasmus scholarships. So th th yeah, that's the the brief overall of how I did my education abroad. No, I, I love that. What, from what I hear, it's it's you're always trying to challenge yourself with with something new, uh, and that and that's very exciting. I think. Uh, you know, jumping around to to different countries and and places. So, uh, I, I'm I'm curious. Uh, was the plan always to to come back uh, home and to you know bring those skills back to the country, or were, did you consider staying abroad at, at one point? No, not really. I never I never considered like staying abroad like uh, permanently because I think that I'm I'm indebted and obliged to this country because I was uh, grown up here, and then my, my first scholarship. Uh, uh, I received from the government, basically, it was the taxpayer's money. Uh, so I have to uh, pay back this. So and uh, it's not about like just uh, the paying back the, like the taxpayer's money by contributing to the country. But overall, I think that like if everyone leaves the countries, uh, if, like the, of this the, uh, brain drain, then who is going to make this country flourish? Who is going to make this country uh, prosper? I mean, instead of like, you know, moving abroad where everything is better, you have to uh, make things like they work here better so that uh, people like decide to move here rather than go there. No, I, I love that too. That's that's a wonderful answer. Let's kind of jump into your, your position. Uh, right now you work for the Ministry of Public Education and you're the head of the Department of Education Quality Monitoring Teacher professional development. You, you have sort of a, a lot of roles um, in that position. Can you, can you maybe talk about, you know, what, what that office does and, and kind of your main, you know, your, your main kind of duties? Um, well, yes, uh, th that's a good question. Basically, uh, you know, uh, before I joined the Ministry of Public Education, I worked in Korea 
uh, for the Korean company. But then uh, I was invited uh, to one of the events of the, uh, the alumni events, like the, the, those who studied abroad. And the, the, uh, and the, the, the former uh, Minister of Public Education, who is now the Minister of ICT in Uzbekistan, uh, Mr. Shermatov, has invited me to Uzbekistan to work here. Uh, to join the Ministry of Public Education. Uh, though my, my, uh, most of my experience was in, in higher education rather than the public education. When we talk about the public education in Uzbekistan, we mean the, the school education, basically the public schools. Uh, so uh, um, when, I, when I first joined, uh, I, I was appointed as the head of the, uh, the division, not the department, the division, and the division's name was like education quality uh, monitoring. It wasn't assured, it was just like, we have to monitor the, the, the quality of education. But then I came to the understanding just monitoring isn't enough. So we have to do something. Uh, okay, so we do monitor that. And so, so what's, what's, the, what's the result? So we have, to, uh, we have to find our gaps and we have to improve. But then I, uh, when I did uh, some further investigation on the school education, I read um, a great, uh, uh, like the, uh, the book by Andres Schleicher, who is the founder sure. of PISA. Uh, and then one of his, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the words I, I read and I was really impressed was that the quality of education can never exceed the quality of teachers. So if you want to make sure that the quality of education is high now, we have to work with the teachers because they deliver the quality education. So I propose that we have to probably uh, form up a new department, which will link both the quality of education and the teacher professional development. And then, well, of course, we cannot uh, influence much in the, in the ministerial level, at least. We cannot influence much in the um, pre-service training of teachers because uh, they, they, they get this in the universities. But when they come to the uh, schools, uh, they spent like uh, most of their time, uh, most of their life in schools until they get retired. And then there is a chance to do some in-service training of the teachers. That's how the, the, the idea uh, evolved. So um, the, uh, when, I, when, I, when I proposed this uh, idea to the minister, uh, he supported the idea that there should be a single department which should uh, deal both with the quality of education and the, the, the teacher professional development. So uh, it's been like uh, slightly more than a year than this, that this department uh, has been uh, formed. And yeah, that's how we're working here. And of course, we, 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 uh, we got uh, great challenges because uh, we have to understand some things that, you know, uh, whenever there is a system shift, whenever we have like the, the two types of teachers, which uh, some of them being like educated in the Soviet system and they stick to the Soviet system and they believe this, this was the best system as, as just like, you know, like religious people do believe that they, their religion is the best. And then you have to, uh, and then you have to explain that uh, the time is changing. There is a time dynamics and you cannot stick to the old, uh, uh, to say dogmas. Uh, it's very, very difficult to, to explain, especially to the teachers, because teachers are there to teach, not there to learn. This is one of the big <laughs> problems. So you have to teach the teachers and then they feel like, oh, like there is a guy who is like quite young and why, uh, and why is trying to teach us something? Uh, th th this is the stereotypes. So we have to break the stereotypes. And the biggest problem is not about like the... Uh, you know, to, like issuing decrees on issuing the bills and saying, okay, guys, 
we have to work uh, this way and we have to follow this pattern. No, it's about the, the you know, the making change in the teacher's minds. This, this is very important. And this is the, the most challenging part of the story. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I bet that's tough. You know, and, and one of the other important parts of your your position is, is sort of finding that evidence or having that evidence. And uh, some of the ways that you do that uh, seems to be through uh, coordinating international assessments like PISA, PEARLS, TIMS, or, or TALUS. C- can you talk a little bit about that process and, uh, you know, w- what's it like to actually, you know, get the schools and to, to get the people? And is there is there ever pushback? Because we often are hearing about sort of pushback to these sort of international assessments recently? Well, uh, when we talk about the pushback, um, it's not easy to say at this stage because, you know, like uh, 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 Uzbekistan started participating in this kind of international assessments uh, since uh, 2019. Like it's been like only like, Uh yeah, uh, like three years. But uh, and even then, because of the pandemic, it was postponed. So right. we uh, we participated in the pearls like last year, and we participated in in PISA uh, this year. So we still don't have the results. But the 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 story is uh, behind all this uh, international assessment is is uh, quite interesting because uh, for the first time in the independent history of Uzbekistan, the government decided that we have to go on with these international assessments. Why? Because we have to understand where we are. And then uh, when we when we did the pearls last year and when we did the PISA this year, uh, one of the, uh, the the things that we came across with was the you know the, uh, there was some fear from the school principals that if they if they uh, perform not so well they will be punished because this was the the system this was the system this was a system that came from the soviet times because you know and the soviets uh, um of course the, the soviet you know we have to understand the soviet uh, thinking and soviet culture and stereotype because soviets always struggled with the west uh struggling with the west meant that they have to always be you know like winning in the rivalry but winning in the rivalry demanded that each part of the society, each part of the economy, and all these things, like even the schools, they have to beat the, you know, the counterpart in, in the West. So if they do not do so, then it means that they're underperforming, and then it means that they have to be punished. So there was like some kind of like a fear, there was like a phobia that the, the schools, that they perform not so good, they will be punished. So it took us very hard times to explain that we are not going to, uh, and the, all these international assessments are not going to you know, assess the school's performance. It's a general performance of the country's education system uh, assessments uh, like overall. It's not something about the school or the, the like the, the uh, how to say some region and so on. This was the biggest problem because uh, we one of the things that we like, you know, we really, really battled with was we asked them, please do not make any preparation for PISA. You don't have to do that. Uh, and we don't really, really care about the how we perform on a global scale at this stage because the first time. And we want to know the uh, the real picture, not the distorted picture. We want to look at the mirror, which shows us where the, our real uh, situation is. We don't want some, you know, some exaggerated picture because the exaggerated picture makes us believe we are good and we we, we are a good uh, 
we are heading in a, in a good way. But I suspect that we have a lot of problems. And th these kind of uh, assessments, especially PISA, and honestly speaking, I'm really looking forward for next year to the results to be announced and revealed uh, because it will, uh, it's, it's going to be a like, good sign for the government where we, our weaknesses and gaps are. Of course, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, the top officials in the government might not like the results and they probably will not um, express their gratitude to, to the Ministry of Public Education for the performance, but still at least for the first time in history, we will get to understand where we are. So uh, yeah, this, this is the things like, so basically uh, with all, the, when, it, when we come back to your question in short, when talking about peace and pearls and uh, such, uh, such types of assessments, international assessments, the very main challenge was to explain to the stakeholders, the results are not so important at this stage. The important is uh, getting the clear and real picture. Yeah, no, I, I love that attitude and that sort of, you know, level headedness about, you know, what what the results might potentially mean. Uh, I am I'm definitely curious, like yourself, you know, when the results come in and, and how that's sort of perceived and, you know, even like media representation and those types of things. So maybe maybe we can uh, talk again in the future in a couple of years. So that'll be exciting. You know, one thing that we sort of skipped over and I jumped straight to your current position, but you also mentioned that you worked for uh, Korea Telecom and Hyundai. Uh, you know, these are huge multinational corporations, private sector. Can you maybe talk a little bit about, did, did you take some of those skills or ideas and, and move them in, into your work with the government, things that you learned, uh, and sort of, you know, what are maybe the differences um, in in how those two different types of organizations work? Well, what, what I will say now will probably surprise, it's going to be paradoxical, but but because uh, all the, 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 both these companies are Korean companies, and, you know, the Koreans are quite hardworking. And it's not about just hardworking in a sense that they really, like, uh, yield some good results by working hard, like, or long times. It's just the, 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 the culture. So, uh, but when I switched to ministry, I, I, I saw the similar pattern. Like, people tend to stay for longer times, like, uh, like over time. It's the same in, 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 in Hyundai or, like, KT. So, this was similar, but this is where the similarities end because the, the, the private companies, like when we talk about the KT and Hyundai, especially because they're, they're like, like global multinationals, they are more like goal oriented. But when we talk about the government, it's more about the process oriented because of course, the, the, uh, we in the government, we, we are not here to make profits. We are here, like you know, to, to run the processes smoothly, and of course, we do understand that most of the goals are achievable, at least like in the uh, say a mid or like the longer terms. But when it comes to uh, global multinationals, at least at the at the level where I worked, there are some shorter term goals, and it and it's uh, all convertible to uh, to like monetary profits. So, uh, but when it comes to government, uh, it's different. But uh, one of the skills that I probably was able to successfully transfer here was like, um, even in the process-oriented organization like ministries, you can set some goals, which then uh, add up to a bigger goal, 
when you can like you know convert your bigger goals into achieved results then the uh, the top management can see that and they can apply some things here for example uh, you know uh, we worked together with the ministry of finance and the ministry of public education was one of the first ministries which introduced the quantifiable kpi which actually is very difficult for the public education because not everything is measurable like in terms of uh, say some numbers some quantities but still we uh, we were able to develop some some results which are measurable and we were able to link it to the funding to the government uh, expenditure and budgeting and funding that made us uh, say more transparent in front of the society now we we are able to at least report how the taxpayers monies are being spent in public education and how it converts to some quantifiable numbers so this was one of the things that were like successful transfer from the uh, the private uh, corporations to 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 say the the government level but uh, i think this is also a huge step because uh we have we are accountable in uh, like you know in front of the taxpayers because they pay the money and they they are entitled to to get to know what what's being done with their monies right right i i can empathize with you know your your discourse on, on korea i used to live in korea and you know i had friends who were from uzbekistan and you know they would work for multinationals and things like that you know what one question that i actually am excited to ask you about because i often talk to academics and you know we we start asking ourselves hey you know the government and you know what's it like working with the government and they sort of say oh well there's sort of these issues but i i want to flip it around and and ask your and ask from the government standpoint how how it's been working with with academics and and professors and you know this quote unquote ivory tower um is there something that uh we you know misperceive or, or maybe we don't quite get um when when uh dealing with sort of you know uh the government. Ah, th th that's actually the, the question I was looking forward to because this is yeah, because <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, when I was uh, working in a university, I was like, well, why do these government guys are like so dumb? Like we 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 recommend them so many things, but they never do that. But when it comes when I when I when I started working in the government, I saw that you know the the academics, the uh, those who were like the in the ivory towers they see the world in an ideal way because all the people who uh, uh, like surround them they also like you know they, they're very very uh, like scientific minded and they're very have to say sterile like they think they tend to think that everyone is the same they tend to think that everyone is so clever and they all like think about the the nobles like something like that noble awards but no the, the reality is totally different but when you come and and work for the government you can see that you have to serve all the strata of the society and uh, 80% of the society doesn't understand what the scientists are talking about because they're talking their own language they're talking in their own society and like to look uh, from the very bow and say well why all these dumb people like doing what we are we don't what we don't want them to do so i think that um, the the scientific society is very theoretical and this is normal that, that, that that's what they have to do even when we talk about those scientists who are say 
who are supposed to work with the society, like sociologists or the uh, psychologists, they tend to work in isolated like rooms where there is an ideal person or ideal society. And they think, oh, well, this is how the society should work. And when they go like to the street, they say, oh no, it's not working. So, it, and they like the, the problem is that they say, it is the, 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 the society that has problems. It's not me who has problems. But in fact, this is the scientist who has problems because they think everything's ideal, but everything is not ideal, not at all. So I think um, if I were like, um, say, uh, the Ministry of Higher Education, I'd probably ask all the scientists all in all the universities, you know, to just leave their offices like for, say, for at least like three months and then to, to work with like, you know, with ordinary workers and like with the ordinary people to see that their theories do not work. But this is very good because uh, on the other hand, like people do, like, you know, for example, at least in the Oriental societies, for example, you just mentioned that you, you worked in Korea as well. So, and you know that in Korea, like the, the, the status of the teacher and professor is almost sacral. So, uh, people, you know, they believe the scientists, they think that the scientists are really, really good. Uh, and then they tend to, you know, to reach what this, the scientists, uh, the standards they set. So uh, maybe, uh, of course, uh, the scientists should work, but of course they have to be more close to, let's say, it, it's not maybe the, the right uh, word in the 21st century, but if I were in 20th century and if I were next to Marx or Engels, I would say the sciences should be uh, should work and live much closer to the proletariat. I see. So, like this, the, the, I so. see. You know, I, you know, I asked the question. So I, I'm a university faculty member sitting at university as I record this podcast. But but sometimes we need this critique. Sometimes we, we need to hear it. So I, I do appreciate you uh, giving me that very honest answer. Uh, we are kind of coming to the end of the interview. Uh, I would just like to ask you, you know, is there any message or final word that you would like to sort of impart on our audience in the international de development community, just in regards to working with uh, local government and, and sort of local expertise? Yes, there is. Uh, and then, um, well, first, uh, I, I really, uh, you know, praise the situation that uh, at least uh, lately for maybe around uh, 10 or 15 years, uh, the developed countries, especially when it comes to uh, European Union, uh, they they've developed the understanding that like the without developing the education of the neighboring countries, which are developing, um, well, the very good example being the Balkan states, uh, and uh, when, uh, expanding to the uh, say the. Uh, uh, the Central Asia and Eastern European countries like Belarus uh, and Ukraine, without uh, making those countries' education more developed and making the societies more educated, it's not possible to get the uh, the, the the good uh, the society within the European Union because uh, the borders getting uh, more transparent and or more open. Uh, the uh, international relations getting more intense. Of course, you have the migration and you want the people who migrate inside your country more educated. That's the way how to keep the 
country stable, both inside the country. And on the other hand, the more educated society means more developed society. And the more developed society means less migration to the uh, more developed countries because they develop their own countries. So um, what I praise from the European Union is that they tend to spend like more and more money on developing the education of the neighboring countries. And I would like the other, uh, say, uh, developed countries like the United States, like Canada, Australia, or even say Israel, or like uh, bordering upon like say Palestine uh, and the other Arab countries. Uh, and we can see the good example like United Arab Emirates by spending the money on the, the neighboring Arab states to spend the, not to, you know, not to provide loans on uh, like, a, uh, say, 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 reconstructing something like the infrastructure. No, we'd better like uh, invest into education. When the developed countries invest in the education of the developing countries, they basically invest in their own country. That's what I think, because united we stand. Uh, the developing, developing countries, they also logically want to, to get to the stage where they will be also called the developed countries. They also want to like, you know, like uh, have, set higher standards, but it's not easy to do so. So there should be some, the, not a transfer of just like the pure money in US dollars or euros. There should be transfer of knowledge. There should be transfer of education and technology. That's the way how we make the, our uh one united globe prosper. I think this is what I want to say. No, that that's wonderful. I, a great way to end it. Uh, Laziz, thank you for joining me. This has been a really fun interview. Thank you. Thank you very much too. It was uh, so much pleasure for me too. And this concludes our Kicks EAP podcast, which is released every first Wednesday of the month. Of course, the opinions expressed on the Kicks EAP podcast are solely those of the host and the guest. The Kicks EAP podcast is made possible by Kicks, which stands for Knowledge and Innovation Exchange. Kicks is an initiative of the Global Partnership for Education. Globally, Kicks is administered by the International Development Research Center in Canada. NORAG in Geneva hosts one of the four regional hubs of Kicks. Find us on the NORAG or GPE Kicks websites. You can subscribe to the Kicks EAP podcast, newsletter, and webinar series and also learn about Kix global or regional projects. Additionally, you can subscribe directly on Spotify or SoundCloud to receive notifications of the new monthly podcast episodes. Thanks for listening.